here we are. Um, this is our 2019-2020 preview. Uh, we're going to take it one division at a time. We're starting with the Eastern Conference, the Central Division, which is near and dear to my heart, as it is to Kyle's, and as it is not to Jalen's, but he'll have something to say anyway. We're going to start off with some predictions for where we think these teams are going to land this year. Uh, just a quick reminder, last year we had the Bucks at 60 wins, the Pacers at 48, the Pistons at 41, the Bulls at 22, and the Cavs at 19. I think we're going to end up with a division ending in exact same order, barring injuries. Though the Bucks won't win as many, the Pacers will win more, and of course the Bills, Bulls and Cavs cannot be as bad as they were last year. Kyle, what do you think? I have the division running exactly as it did last year. Yeah. Um, Before we get into the sort of exact division standings, do how okay so both of you are very into the central division correct and both of you are older than i am do we know the four inaugural teams in the central division oh Damn. that's a good question when did the central division form well it is not the pacers it's i can not. tell you that can you can you give us a so so i can give you a hint of the current teams in the division in 2019 20 20 there was only one team from the inaugural season uh, that is Chicago still Chicago Bulls uh, nope. It's the yeah. Pistons. Cavs. No. That was my it shouldn't. Choice. It should be the Pistons. <laughs> so so I think um, I did a little when, bit of homework on this. The, when did the Central Division form, The though? Central Division formed in the 70-71 season. Interesting. So I think the te- uh, most of the teams that are currently in the division used to be in the Midwest Division. Oh. Um, and so, but the inaugural, the inaugural Central Division included our very own Baltimore Bullets. Um, so that's why that's why I brought it up. Uh, also included the Atlanta Hawks, Cincinnati Royals, and Cleveland Cavaliers. So fun fact for today. Yeah, and the Pacers joined after yes. the ADA merger. Yes, we can figure that out for a future pod, or I can Wikipedia it at uh, our leisure I'm as we talk sure on the that's pod. That's the case. I just can't remember the year. I really thought the Pistons would have been. I mean, it makes sense that they are what that they are in the Midwest in that yeah. configuration. But they're an old team. I mean, going back to their Fort yeah. Wayne days, uh, yeah, Fort I think Wayne they, Pistons. I think they were probably just, you know, like I said, just in the Midwest division. Um, and so that's why they weren't initially in the Central division. And then I think, the, yeah, the NBA probably just got smart about where exactly their team should be based geo- uh, geographically. Um, but anyways, just want to say, since we're sort of Baltimore-based podcast, uh, the Baltimore Bullets uh, were one of the four inaugural teams in the initial 1970-71 season when the Central Division was created. Baltimore Bullets, now Washington Wizards. So we're going to talk through each of the five teams in the Central in the order they finished last year. So we'll be starting with the Bucks at uh, they were 60 and 22 last year. Nobody's predicting they'll uh, hit 60 games again this year. Um, they uh, they made some significant personnel changes. Uh, Kyle, why don't you catch up off, catch us up on those? Um, yeah. So the biggest move in the off season, obviously, was that they um, let Malcolm Brogdon go. Um, failed to sign um, him as a restricted free agent. And he was at times during the playoffs, during 
significant playoff games in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, their second best player. Uh, it was a tough call, um, I'm sure, for the team. Um, he's had an injury history, but uh, I think that it's tough to say that they'll be as good a team without him. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, when you're talking projection, projected wins there, you're talking Vegas and, um, you know, various, you know, sports betting and, um, sure, of course, pro- you know, futures. Um, and uh, they made up for it um, by putting together a sign and trade um, for, um, uh, with the Pacers for um, Wes Matthews, um, and he can slot in as a uh, as pro- probably will be their starting shooting guard. Um, and uh, other significant moves that they made, um, they picked up Robin Lopez, and sort of on the back end of the free agency season, um, they signed Kyle Korver. Um, Frank Mason also. Oh, Frank Mason. Yeah, who's actually going to provide some pretty significant point guard depth for them because that's um, one of the problems with losing Brogdon was they lost another ball handler, which isn't the greatest problem for that team because Giannis is a great ball handler, you know, for his position and Chris Middleton as well. Um, But I've seen some depth chart predictions that are putting Dante DiPicenzo in as the, like, backup point guard backup i think straight backup um on like real gm and i was like he's he's been a shooting guard um and he handles the ball fine but i mean definitely george hill george hill yeah is putting that george hill will be the backup he'll play 20 minutes a game and he'll give them a good 20 minutes a game in any case, the point with Frank Mason is that if you're putting Dante DiVincenzo as your backup point guard on any depth chart, you need more depth at point guard. And uh, Frank Mason is probably going to be significant in that way. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting from what I've heard listening to other writers and podcasters that the Bucks organization, they really like DiVincenzo and they feel like, you know, I don't know how to quantify it exactly, but they feel like he's got some talent Um they also added uh, Giannis's brother, uh, Thanis Antetokounmpo. So they're already laying the groundwork for their future free agency pitch so their superstar doesn't bolt out the door to L.A. or New York as every sort of small market owner is fearing these days. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm currently looking at the Bucks roster with all of their everyone's picture. Oh, they also have Dragon Bender. Um, that's a fun sort of wrinkle, maybe even fun for fantasy if he can get enough minutes. But I remember when Dragan Bender was getting drafted, I was like, oh, here's a tall, like, pass first forward. This sounds fun. And then he kind of didn't do anything. I think it'd be tough for him to have any fantasy impact in, in the same way, any real impact for the Bucks, um, in part because Ilyasova's been so good um, as a backup for and then you've got the Lopez brothers now um, at center, um, which also I mean, we should talk about that at, at a certain point. Like bringing in Robin Lopez is really interesting because it means that they've got that drop back big in every lineup. They can play the same way with every lineup. And significantly, they can do that, for instance, against 
the Sixers and Embiid. And, you know, that could be just the antidote that they need for what is going to be just a towering team in Philadelphia. And I, I think it's going to be, you know, we're talking about the central division here, obviously, but the major foe for the Bucks this year, I think is the Sixers. I think that's who they're competing against. Because the, they have, they, it's those two teams. I mean, unless we get a big surprise from the Pacers. Yeah, they have championship aspirations. The Celtics, it's the Bucks and the Sixers. To follow up on what you were saying, um, Giannis and Thanasis um, are signed through the same season yep. in 2021, um, and uh, that is not it, which, an accident, folks. Yeah. Which is when when you said that um, you're trying to keep Giannis on the Bucks. It's also like they didn't buy in so much that they kept his brother. What could be that extra year when Giannis would have to resign, which would have been that would have been an interesting gamble, right? As in we're we're buying in so much that Giannis, you're going to be here. We're going to sign your brother through one season after your current contract because we know you're going to be here for it. You know. but uh, so, but it is fascinating. We now have two brothers in Milwaukee. Yeah. And then we have a pair of twins, also brothers, in Milwaukee. Does this change the way this team works? Does it Doesn't it seem change? like the team of brothers should be in Philadelphia? Obviously. The city of brotherly <laughs> love. Um, okay, so we're, we're talking we're talking bucks, and I'm sort of frantically um, searching um, through the advanced stats on NBAstats.com, um, and the most played lineup for the Bucks uh, logged 597 minutes. I think it was just their starting lineup, 56 game played, and Malcolm Brogdon was in that lineup. Uh, Brook Lo- Brooke Lopez, Eric Bledsoe. Uh, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Malcolm Brogdon. So, really, that, that's what's especially interesting about that was that Brogdon was injured for a good part of the season, and he still was in their number one lineup for that. That says something. Seems like it, yeah, um, yeah. It I means mean, that as, they were really replacing him by like a committee. Yeah, they replaced him with Wesley Matthews. I like Wesley Matthews. Wesley I've liked Matthews him. Matthews could have an amazing season. Like before he got injured, what team was he on? I can't remember now. But anyway, he was on. You, oh, on Portland, way Portland. back. Yeah, in Portland, mm-hmm. he put up eight three pointers a game. That was probably pre Achilles tear, though. Wasn't it was pre, it? yes. <laughs> and he's healed now. He's. Like he took eight threes, not he made he eight He took, threes. he attempted, he <laughs> attempted, yeah. put up. Yeah. He attempted eight three-pointers a game. How many is he going to attempt in the Bucks offense? Like, if he gets the ball on the wing, it's going up. He's not afraid to shoot. Like, he could have an amazing real NBA season, and he could be a fantasy steal. I've always liked him, and it was an Achilles injury, and they're, they're, I mean, from what we've seen in recent years, they're either injuries you never come back from or you come back from very slowly. The second and third seasons out, um, you're still 
run down by them. And uh, he does seem to be on um, the better end of that curve now. And I thought he there was there were times at the end of the season last year. I mean, the, the Pacers were in free fall. Um, they were losing. I don't even know what it was, but it was like you know, eight of 10 games or something around here in the the final part of the season. And I'm watching the games, and I really thought that Wes Matthews looked like the best player on the team. Just the way he moved on the court, um, he, he played with energy, um, he was shooting the ball really well, he, he had the ball in his hand, he was getting people involved, um, and... You know, he's not going to be tasked with doing that all the time. But um, he's going to have a perfect role with the Bucks. It's going to line up perfectly for him to take those spot up threes, to play a little defense. And for your fantasy, he's going to get you at least a steal a week. And we saw that at the end of last season with the Pacers. He was playing hard, he was playing fast. We saw those flashes. And I think uh, he might give Milwaukee a lot. We have some other questions in Milwaukee I think we should talk about. Um, you know, the big problem with Milwaukee was in the playoffs last year. You know, we're talking about the regular season right now, but the issue for them was in the playoffs. Giannis was stopped by the Toronto Raptors and their wall, and Bledsoe had, what do we kindly call this, a kind of I mean, we don't, we don't have to be kind about it. Okay. There's no rules Here's about that. Here's the issue for Eric Bledsoe. There's something called the Yerkes-Dodson Law. And it suggests that there's an optimal level of stimulation for whatever act is being done. Bledsoe is perfect. He hits the optimal level during the regular season. When he gets to the playoffs, it's too much, and he can't manage it, and it's part of where his game is going. This is a big psychological issue for him, and that's how it's going to be addressed. It's not going to be addressed on the court. So they have to fix that playoff problem, and they have to fix Giannis's problem. I fully expect Giannis to have more of a jump shot, a better three-pointer, and at least another dribble move. But where else can they approve? It has to come from the players since they didn't have a lot of other options for moves. Jalen, what do you think? So, I mean, I feel like I was sort of the anti-Bucks person all of last year because people were kept equating them to the 2014-2015 um Golden State Warriors which is a team I watched and like I'm a big Steph Curry fan so I've been watching the Warriors fairly religiously since that season um and to me they never fit the bill I mean they had the best regular season defense I believe uh they had an MVP candidate in Giannis but I think where that sort of all falls apart is when we start looking at their second third and fourth best players um, and the Warriors had um, Andre Iguodala, who's sort of potentially going to be a Hall of Famer. Their second best player, I think, in the early runs, I would argue, was Draymond Green, who is also probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. They're all probably going to be in the Hall of Fame due to this run, but also Draymond is a generational defensive talent. Um, and for all of Brooke Lopez's strengths, he is not that. Um, and also their third best player, whichever way you want to flip it, second or third between Clay and Draymond, uh, Clay Thompson is way better than Chris Middleton. Um, and we've seen that. We've seen the way um, Clay Thompson performed in the finals this past year. We've seen the way he's performed in the playoffs in general, especially uh, defensively, um, guarding guys like Kyrie, uh, just destroying Damian Lillard's life every time they play against the Warriors. Um, so, I mean, 
I was kind of sort of like the Bucks. Do, are the Bucks really this good? Do they really have it? And I'm still kind of like that. I mean, I think they have a formula, right? So they've got a plan. We're going to spread the floor. We're going to get up a lot of threes. We're going to give Giannis a ton of space. You know, it's the LeBron James model. We're going to get one rim attacker who's hyper-efficient at getting to the rim and finishing well at the rim. And then we're going to put as many shooters as we possibly can around him. And we're also going to hope that these people are two-way players and they can defend and that's a model that works. We've seen it work with LeBron teams before. It's taken them to the finals. It's allowed him to win championships. So the model works, but I feel like when we start digging down into the nitty-gritty and things get hot and, and hotly contested in the playoffs, we start seeing the failings of a guy like Eric Bledsoe, you know, his inability to shoot the three consistently, and then also uh, the easy the ease with which he loses his confidence or fades in and out of these confident moments. Um, becomes a problem. I mean, Chris Middleton is really good at what he does, but he's also not the best creator off the dribble. He's not the best at getting his own shot. So, I mean, I kind of wonder, you know, we just saw we just saw the Raptors win the championship, and I would say they sort of have a more collective model with a sort of one superstar, and then the rest, the sum of the parts are better than the whole um, so I don't know. It's interesting. I I think as far as holes, as we said, as Kyle said, Brogdon was the second best player for very important stretches in the playoffs, and they just lost that guy. Um, and I think someone else is going to have to create, or maybe Giannis will just be better. Maybe Giannis will just be even better. He'll improve Giannis his post game. Be He'll shoot better, and maybe it won't matter. You know. Um, also, Brogdon was a nightly pick for Daily Fantasy. He was that good. Absolutely. Also, I feel like the the Milwaukee Bucks are secretly they maybe well they maybe have some of the same problems that we always lament with the Rockets. So the Bucks were fifteenth in three point percentage last year, but they were number one. Uh, Sorry, they were number two in three-pointers made behind the Rockets. Um, So I think that's another thing that we saw in the playoffs is that they're going to get up a lot of threes. They're going to spread the floor. They're going to get those threes up. Brooke Lopez is going to take six, eight threes in a game. But the people shooting those threes outside of probably Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton and, you know, Connaughton is – I feel like Connaughton's percentages don't – match up with the way his shot looks every time he shoots it it looks like it's going in but I don't think the percentages match up with that but what I'm saying is that I don't know I feel like they need more diversity to their offense I feel like um, they're running into the same problems that we see with the Rockets and they're overly reliant on the three and you know as we said Toronto built a wall they made it tough on Giannis um, and they didn't have sort of the diversity in their in their offense, they didn't have another playmaker in their offense to get the job done. Yeah, I think you hit on the the, the main issue for the Bucks, and it, it, it's twofold, but it's the same problem for Giannis and the team as a whole. Giannis has to develop a bit more uh, so that he has more variability in his game, and that'll give the Bucks more variability in their game. I have to believe, too, that Bud is going to bring some new wrinkles to that five-out system. I don't know what they are. I sat there looking at footage from last year when they ran it over and over. Um, I don't know what it is. Any thoughts on the five-out and where it might go next? So 
One of the things with the five out is that they could potentially get better with their three-point shooting. Um, Let's hope. Losing Mirotic is going to hurt. Um, I still think that Kyle Korver can help them in moments. Um, he uh, He's going to be tasked with shooting, and uh, he seems <laughs> yes. to be very, very capable of shooting. <laughs> and uh friend of the podcast, um, Chris uh, Shannon, um, likes to tell the, the story of the, what was it a Grantland article? Or I think it was. Back Grant- in the day about yeah. um, Kyle Korver's underwater training routine. Um, that boulders underwater. Yeah, that, that keeps him fresh uh, for, e- for each season, fresh and strong. Um, and he, he could still be really good for them. And like you were saying, Wes Matthews um, can do a lot in a system where he, he's going to have open space to take those three-pointers that he's very capable of making. And they held on to other people who, um, like Ersan Ilyasova, who can um, really shoot. And, uh, and they have bigs who can, you know, centers who can shoot. Um, and, you know, when you're, Jalen, when you're talking about Dragon Bender in some of his intrigue um which you know may be lost at this point um but uh if he does have any it's that he will become a as you mentioned passing big who can shoot the three and that's kind of what the Suns were always hoping that he could do and maybe with a little bit more space which they never had ever he could build a little confidence you know and um and maybe that's where the five out system goes. I mean, to go back to what you were saying about the playoffs, um, the the real issue with Toronto building a wall um, wasn't about Toronto's brilliance of building a wall. It's that the Bucks had only one go-to option, which was that Giannis is coming down with a head full of steam, as they say, and he tries to bowl people over and, and then kick it out. You know, bowl people over and slam it home, finish at the rim, or kick it out. And if he didn't get deep enough into the paint, it just negated everything in that plan. And he was able to win, you know, they were able to win two playoff series with him running the ball that way. But I fear that Toronto found something that other teams can do. Now, Bud will have a whole offseason to think about this. They did, and he's been thinking about it. And I think Jalen suggested off the podcast another solution to this, and that it's Giannis's postgame. Jalen? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like I keep equating this to LeBron James. I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel like I started seriously watching the NBA. I, I remember distinctly the... Um, was it 01 finals where Iverson stepped over Lou? I remember I watched the 06 finals, 06, 07, where Wade was banking in three-pointers because his jump shot wasn't as reliable then, and I was just like, this is crazy. Um, but like, I kind of feel like I relate things a lot back to the Heatles era, as they say. Um, and, you know, in 2010, 2011, uh, or yeah, I guess 2010, the first year the Heatles were together, they lost to the, the Mavs and LeBron... LeBron wanted to win playing the three. He didn't want to play the four or the five, and he didn't really want to get in the post or anything. And Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley and 
all the brass, top brass for the Heat is like, if you want to win, you got to play the four. We got to run this sort of five out system. Uh, we've got the best, eventually the best shot blocking guard in history in Dwayne Wade on our team. You're six eight. You're a rim protector. You know they were just flying around. They changed their system. They did sort of more of the sun system. They did more of the five out system now that we see from the Bucks and the Warriors, and they won a championship. And a part of that was LeBron getting in the post. He hooked up with uh, Hakeem Olajuwon that summer. He worked on a post game. And then now we see, uh, you know, in the previous years, was it 2014-2015 when uh, literally all the rest of his supporting cast, the major players, uh, Kevin Love and Kyrie, were injured and LeBron was dominating or keeping his team in the game for, you know, parts of or most of that series by dominating both from the perimeter and in the post. He's controlling everything in the post. He's slowing the pace down. He did the same thing to uh, the Raptors multiple times. That game-winning shot he hit from sort of leaning from the baseline, to going towards the baseline. So my thinking there is that this is kind of, I equate it to, this is a very long-winded answer to say, uh, yes, Giannis should focus on his post game. He should get better on his post game, and I think that will maybe mitigate some of the other areas that he's weak in. But I liken it to like um, sort of running quarterback in college football. So you know, maybe he wins the Heisman his junior year or his sophomore year, or he has a really good year and he's coming back. He said, "I want to, get, I want to get better at my passing. I want to be better in the pocket." Well, that that works for the that works for the NFL, but we're still trying to win college football games, so we still need you to. Uh, run the ball effectively uh, so I feel like that's that's what we don't want we don't want Giannis to stop doing what he's great at and we just sort of want to maybe expand on it slightly and I think an easier way to do that than to expect him to shoot I don't know 35 percent from three or 33 percent from three immediately is to develop a post game develop a mid-range shot obviously it's closer it's an easier shot um, a little bit easier not really but please yeah. bring back the bank shot give Giannis a bank shot can I can I put a caveat out there yeah. on I think you're completely right that Giannis developing a post game would be brilliant for his career and um it may carry him to wherever he goes next um which may not be the bucks um he's staying in Milwaukee his entire career I I wonder if using a post game for Giannis this year is the best use of the Bucks' resources because their best players, some of their best players um, who give them the greatest chance to win are centers with the Lopez twins. Um, and the reason why that becomes so important is because they have an undersized point guard and shooting guard rotation um, and an undersized small forward rotation aside from Chris Middleton. So the idea of Giannis going up makes their team really small because then you have to fill in someone else into the power forward slot. And um, I don't know if you really want that to be um, Ursan Ilyasova um, or if you can really play long doing that. And you don't have many opportunities to get bigger with – Pat Connaughton and, you know, an aging um, Kyle Korver. Um, so they would have to make moves. To, yeah. to, to really maximize Giannis as a post player, they'd have to make moves. And this was actually one other thing that I thought of with every team that, we, that we're going to talk about today. Um, I thought about, like, how they could make a move if they needed to. 
And the that Bucks pick. don't really have many opportunities to make moves. They don't have, um, you know, they don't have like bundles of picks to trade away. And the biggest asset that they really have that they would want to get out from under and might be worth something to someone is Eric Bledsoe. But his value is probably at an all-time low after how they exited the playoffs last season. And they'd have to get a point guard back. I guess I, mean, I guess what limited. I would say in response to that and counter to that is that I don't think they need to downsize to put Giannis in the post because the bigs that they have are specifically stretch bigs anyway. So, like, Brooke Lopez is going to be five feet behind the line anyway. So the floor should still be spaced. Now, I will I will say that, like, anytime you're talking about the post-up game in 2019, you're talking about a less efficient sort of operating mode for your team so it I I don't mean to say that he should do it exclusively I just mean that there's layers to Giannis's game that he needs to develop we all know he needs to shoot the three better we all know or I think we would agree that he probably should develop his mid-range game as well after he just saw Kawhi sort of dominate the series against his team from the mid-range and so you want to be a three-level scorer and he's already sort of uh, a master at scoring inside the paint with you know, drives and cuts and, and all these things. You can't stop him from getting to the rim. So I just think uh, the the nearest place from where he's already dominating and doing most of his scoring is on the post. It's a little further out, but it's not that much further out. So I guess that's what I would say. And then, yeah, like Brooke Lopez is going to shoot the three. Robin, they, they, I'm sure they want Robin Lopez to shoot the three. Um, and I think as far as size goes, Bledsoe is not super tall, but he's muscular and strong. And I think he can guard twos. Um, I think, I think you may be right that they just don't need to really tweak their lineup that much when you have stretch bigs the way they are. I think I was thinking about it mainly with Robin Lopez is not a pro- proven three-point shooter the way that Brooke Lopez is, and they don't have many other options aside from Brooke Lopez to do that. And so I thought one of the ways that they might be able to get more minutes for um, – you know, for Giannis's post play would just be for him to go up to the five. Mm-hmm. And he certainly has the size, you know, he has the, the height for it. Um, and he's so strong that you don't think that he would have any difficulties playing against most centers, you know. Um, but the center is probably not going to be guarding him anyways. Well, it depends on the team, you know. I guess. I well, if he, I just Bam, mean if he went up to the center, the center would probably guard him. Well, not necessarily. Or do you think that they, they would just, they have, just have, to, have to run if if they're getting run off the floor? The center might yeah. not be on the floor. Period. But yeah, no. I mean, yeah, no. It's it's a fair point. I mean, I think I think every move obviously comes with its drawbacks. It's interesting. I feel like what we're I feel like what we're both kind of dancing around is that. This team is really good, but like Giannis is the best player on the team. Chris Middleton's the second best player. Eric Bledsoe, Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez is maybe the third best player. Um, in the playoffs, that kind of <laughs> that that kind of scares me. Who are they going to be if they make it to the finals? And let's say, and because they they're in the East, they have a much better chance of making it to the finals than any of the West teams do. They're going to be playing a team, maybe, in in the Clippers, who has Paul George, um, Kawhi Leonard, Lou Williams, 
um, and a whole and a whole bunch of death or depth, or they're gonna be playing and death <laughs> and death. Yeah, a team like the Lakers, who has LeBron and AD, they're gonna be playing. You know, I don't know. I just kind of like look at their team, and I'm like, I'm gonna win a championship with George Hill and Dragan Bender and Ilyasan Ilyasova and Kyle Korver, who gets routinely run off the floor every playoff series. The guy is a he's a Hall of Fame shooter. I mean, he's I think he has higher percentages from three than Steph Curry for his career, but he can't stay on the floor in the playoffs every year. And so, I mean, it's just well, weren't there times during the Eastern Conference Finals that Brooke Lopez was run off the floor? Basically, there were times when um, when Marcus Ole wasn't out there that. Brooke Lopez became unplayable. And I remember it being an issue in daily fantasy because I had come to expect that um, Brooke Lopez was just going to put up big numbers, especially, you know, he put out, he came out in that first game and was monster. He scores what, like 30 some points and has, you know, I, I don't even know what the exact numbers were, but he had like four blocks and and he was all over the place. And then the Raptors made some adjustments, and, and they went he right at him. and and they went right at him, and he basically was um, Bud takes him off the court, and it was one of the reasons when you talked about Giannis putting together a post game where I was like, maybe that gives them the flexibility that they need with him simply, you know, scaling up a position to the five, and. The trouble, of course, then just becomes that they don't have the personnel to put four players in the other position slots um, and have a winning lineup. And we're talking about a 60-win team from last year. Yeah, that they, can't win the championship. The, 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 <laughs> the, the, I'm just crazy. reminding yeah. you. But they can't win the championship and, this year as constructed, I don't think. And, I mean, for exactly the – I mean, just because you're talking about the, the, the level of talent that they are going to go against, I just don't – I don't see them – if Giannis develops with his post game, the wall doesn't work anymore, and the Bucks are unlocked again. We saw them locked up in the playoffs. If he has the post game or a three point shot, the Bucks are unlocked. It's a different team. It's different than what we saw last year. But but this is what I foresee. So we just saw the Raptors sort of you know in the process of the Warriors walking away. You know the walking wounded as with everyone getting injured. But what we really saw was a team that didn't have a whole lot of depth and a team that lacked creation, right? They played a box in one on Steph Curry. Who else is creating besides Giannis on this team? So if he's in the post and we're doing, or even if he's attacking the rim with a head of steam, as we said, which is his bread and butter right now, attack the rim, head of steam, Euro step, finish, Euro step, the timing's off, kick it out. Well, what happens then is that you know, now it's chase and recover on the defense. Now we're running the guys off the three-point line because we don't want to give up three. Who's making a play in that situation? And I mean, the answers are are George Hill, Eric Bledsoe, Wesley Matthews, Chris Middleton, and Brooke Lopez. Maybe you know Pat Conten if we're in the bench lineup like that. But that's just well, not one scary. other making a play. One All other. All I want them to do is put up a three-point shot. Give it to any of them and put it up. Yeah. One other generous way of looking at it, though, is just the five out doesn't require you to have a single creator. You you just whip it around the perimeter until someone has a good looking yeah. shot, which I know the Warriors did plenty of themselves when they 
had the personnel to make it work. I also think it's a fair question. So part of me is kind of like, part of me also didn't believe in the whole, the Bucks are going to play this drop back defense with Brooke Lopez and win. I didn't believe that last year. I'm like, what are we talking about? Every time the Cavs played the Warriors in the finals, their centers get run off the floor. Tristan Thompson can only stay on the floor when Steph Curry is injured or when Kevin Durant is not on the team because he gets roasted. Mozgov can't be on the floor. You know, whoever's playing center for the Warriors can't be on the floor for too long. Every Warriors fan is screaming at Steve Kerr to get them off the floor because LeBron and Kyrie are ISOing them and destroying them. And we saw it for a bunch of years. So part of me never believed in sort of this drop back defense can win a championship. And then also, but in fairness to them, they did get to the Eastern Conference Finals and they were probably a game three win away from getting to the finals. But also the Warriors are dead, at least for this season. And so the the truest form of the death lineup, the truest form of a five out offense or a four point five out offense is no more, essentially. Like maybe the Clippers have a version of it that can be destructive, but there's probably gonna be less of that this season. So they may be better suited uh for these playoff matchups with their extra size. I mean, the team that we're talking about as their foremost competition, the Sixers, the Sixers wanna play Joel Embiid and Al Horford together. You know, yeah, four and five. Yeah. So, I mean, they probably don't have to worry about it in that respect. And both of those guys can, Al Horford, I think, better than Embiid, can relatively shoot the three as well. Yeah. I just don't think they have enough secondary talent. I mean, I agree. They got beat by the Raptors by a simple strategy uh, of building a wall. And another reminder the I mean, the Raptors are a very good team. They were deep and talented. And like we, the, the NBA watching public slept on the Raptors and all of that talent there. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree with you, Kyle. And, but it is also, we should also mention that I, I'm pretty sure the Raptors were like a top two playoff level defense in the history of the NBA. They held their opponents to like nine points below their regular season average or something. So it kind of the Raptors kind of did that to everyone, essentially. All right. Last thoughts for the Bucks, Kyle? I have none. I think we covered everything. Jalen? I got nothing. Last fantasy thoughts about the Bucks. They have 10 games in the playoffs, which isn't great. Um, uh, about half of the teams have 10 games, so it's not terrible. What's but the timeline it, you're talking about? So uh, we're talking about the fantasy playoffs. Weeks 23, or 22, 23, and 24 will be the playoffs. They have three games, four games, and three games. So it's a bit of a mediocre playoff run. But one reason to love the fantasy players from the Bucks is just that high-octane offense and all of the numbers they're going to put up. So a great place to look to fill out your roster. Moving on uh, to our second place team in the Central Division, the Indiana Pacers, our friend Chris Shannon's favorite team, and he would be here to talk about them, but he is very sick right now, so well wishes to Chris. And um, let's, uh, let's go over the, the personnel changes, Kyle. Um, the w- most interesting change to me is we have two guys named TJ and a second holiday. Who else? There are three TJs. What? Yeah. Oh, Leaf. Yeah, there's TJ Leaf. Oh, my God. I forgot Leaf. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. There are a lot of TJs. <laughs> um, and TJ McConnell was a big addition um, for 
fans such as myself um, of the 76ers, um, losing T.J. McConnell was, um, was a day. And uh, he will now be on the Pacers. And I'd have to say that because he's coming from the Sixers, that's probably their biggest pickup of the whole offseason. <laughs> Would you categorize T.J. Mcconnell as a gritty player? <laughs> um, he is that, a has gritty some, player. that has some really interesting cultural implications. <laughs> gritty, gritty, gritty T.J. How about resilient? Resilient, Yeah. But he had to go because he, he, he didn't shoot the ball. and um, Nose to we'll the talk grindstone about kind of guy. The, the, the Sixers fans love T.J. McConnell. The Pacers fans are also going to love T.J. McConnell. They will. The, the Pacers fans always, uh, what, uh, always like T.J. McConnell's. So um, are you suggesting that McConnell is a bigger pickup than T.J. Warren or perhaps Jeremy Lamb? No, I'm not suggesting that at all. <laughs> I... Uh, a joke, um, but no. So they're obviously the biggest addition that the Pacers had um, connects directly with the team we just talked about with the Bucks. Um, they orchestrated a sign and trade um, for Malcolm Brogdon, sending um, Wes Matthews and a pick to the um, a first round pick to the uh, to the Bucks, um, and you know I know that um, we mentioned before. Their, um, the injury concerns around Brogdon, but um, four-year, $85 million, um, I felt was something that the Bucks should have matched, um, and it looks like a very good deal for the Pacers um, going forward. Um, bringing in Jeremy Lamb, um, I felt was another a really great move for the Pacers that, I mean, I think it's one of the steals of the free agency period. Um, that was another one where I was really surprised that the, you know, the, the, the home team, you know, the, the Charlotte um, Hornets in this case, didn't pick him up themselves, um, especially at that price. Um, Jeremy Lamb came in at um, 10, five a year uh, for three years um, that's, I mean, when you consider that they signed Rogier to what, almost 20 million, um, it, 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 I mean, it just puts into context, um, the Pacers made some really solid, uh, moves to fill out their roster this year. And I actually like, um, TJ Warren here too, um, in the sense that, uh, he should be, um, a backup power forward for them. And uh, I think that he could continue his, um, you know, his scoring role that he had on Phoenix um, um, with the Pacers as a backup. Um, and then just to round out the transactions here, um, they drafted um, Goga Batatze, um with their first round pick, pick 18. Um, and it, late here, sort of um, just at the end of July, um, they signed Justin Holiday um, to a one-year $4.8 million contract, which took the team over the cap. Um, so um, it also filled out their roster, and I assume that that will be the end of the Pacers offseason. I think we may see Warren at the three some, too, with Holiday backing him up, just the way that I'm personnel sure. is working. Um, and one other thing I love about uh, uh, their what's happening this summer, um, 
just read this recently. Uh, apparently, uh, Miles Turner has spent a good part of the summer working on his post game. So another connection back. But Miles Turner working on his post game with Kevin McHale. So I'm expecting another jump from Miles Turner next year. I should have said I prefer TJ Warren as a backup power forward. It, I think the Pacers would be a better team if they – I think they're going to be able to maximize what TJ Warren is if he's coming off the bench as a scoring power forward or a scoring small forward for that matter. But um, his role on the Suns and in his fantasy value over the last couple seasons um, was based on – really not having other scoring options. And the Pacers are not um, in the same situation there. And I think that putting him as, I mean, he's not a particularly good defender. And to put him at small forward there um, with very capable scorers in Brogdon, Lamb, um, and they're going to start Sabonis and Turner together. They, the, they've Sabonis said Sabonis at um, the four, Turner at the five is it what it's going to be. It may be the time in the NBA to do that. It seems odd um, to go sort of twin towers approach. And the initial results, they ran at some in the second half last year, and it wasn't great. But hopefully Nate McMillan finds some tweaks. Um, Jalen, I'm very interested in Malcolm Brogdon and what he does for this Pacers offense. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think... So I, I wanted to ask, who's going to start for this team? So Oladipo's not going to be back until December, January, we yeah, said. So Jeremy Lamb will be starting at the two, Brogdon at the one. I think it's Warren at the three, Sabonis at the four, and Turner at the five. Okay, okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's what I, I wasn't sure who was going to start at the three. Um, and that's another interesting— Holiday's another option there. Or when Oladipo back, I don't know if you can run Lamb up to the three— yeah, so I mean, I think well, that Lamb's was exactly what I was going to say. There's, it's interesting because we're really talking holiday. about two different starting lineups. We're talking about the right. first half of the season before <laughs> right. Oladipo comes back, and then the second half where I imagine that you're going to see Brogdon at the one, Oladipo at the two. Two, you scale up Lamb to the three, yeah. because you just want your best players to be yeah, on the court. Yeah, um, and then and shooting. And then at that point, I almost wonder if maybe someone like T.J. Warren um, starting becomes really effective for them. And, you know, well, I, this was a bonus is traded, too. I mean, that's the other projection, so to speak, is that they're going to run Turner and Sabonis out there before Alabdipo gets back, see if it works. A lot of people don't think this is going to work. Sabonis gets traded for another piece, something else. And it goes exactly as you said after that. What do you think his trade value is? It's tough. <laughs> I don't think they're going to get a ton. But I think if, another, if the right team wants him, I don't know who that team is right now. But if the right team sees that value, he's a difficult player in today's game. It only takes one asshole, as they say. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like this, when I was thinking about this conversation that we were going to be having, I was thinking TJ Warren is sort of like a a low-grade get-a-bucket kind of guy. You know, I think last year was maybe one of his better years in the league because he shot the three better. Um, he was especially yep, the he second was, half, forty-two uh, percent from three last year, which is wild. His um, free throw percentage went up too, I think. So he's been working on that shooting. Forty-two percent on on how many attempts a game? Four attempts a game. So 
that's 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 legit. Um, you know, but yeah, yeah, it, it's only one year, but I feel like that's going to be important if he wants to be an effective player, especially in the playoffs and especially just in the grand scheme of the NBA. Like, I think his bread and butter coming out of college at NC State was he's going to get to a spot in the mid range, he's going to get buckets. You know, he's just one of these sort of like kind of professional scores. You know, he's not as good as the professional scores that we think of, but you know. He's going to walk into any game basically now until he's 40 years old and you're going to look up and at the end he's going to have 12 to 15 points. Um, he's can, he can do it in transition. He can he can back cut you. Maybe he can get you a little post up or elbow extended shots. He's got his mid-ranger. But in order to be effective, he's got to be the guy who knocks down his threes. Uh, if he shoots them at 40 percent, that's huge. Uh, he's got to attack closeouts, you know, maybe get some offensive rebounds, get some garbage buckets. So. I mean, it's going to be a really interesting season for him because now he's going to be playing for a team that, you know, is trying to make the playoffs, a team that's trying to make noise in the playoffs. Um, He's not going to be on the Suns where nothing matters and the season is over two weeks into the season. Um, So I'm I'm interested. I'm excited. For some reason, I liked his game when he was in college. Um, So I'm looking forward to see what he does this year. And yeah, I don't know. The Pacers are interesting. I think the Pacers are really interesting from both a real and a fantasy NBA standpoint because we've got Brogdon. We were talking about this briefly again off the pod. Brogdon is a high-efficiency player uh, in the real NBA and also, therefore, in in fantasy. But he was playing on a team that had Giannis, Eric Bledsoe, and a whole bunch of other people, and he also had some injury problems, so he has never seen the volume that we assume he'll have especially with Oladipo out in the beginning of the year. So, I mean, the question then becomes, is he going to keep up that same level of efficiency? Because if he is, you might want to ride that wave at the beginning of the season. Uh, It might take you places. And if he's not, then all of a sudden, you know, he's a different player. If he is. Well, the interesting thing about about efficiency from a fantasy perspective is that if he – his efficiency drops off a little – but he does it on much greater volume. For instance, with um, your field goal percentage, um, he can still give you value, an important value, just because you know you're basically you're trying to get your high free throw percentage and field goal percentage players to lift your overall percentage relative to your players who are aren't shooting the ball particularly well. You can do that by people shooting, you know, very high percentages on few shots or really pretty good percentages on a lot of shots. And I think that Brogdon, you know, especially with with um, with his like free throw percentage and things like this, which could drop just by fatigue. You know, sometimes if you just play more minutes, then um, you don't have your legs under you in the same way. And uh, and those percentages can drop. Um and with his field goal percentage, with the you know the increased volume, he's going to have tougher shots, and so he's probably going to have a lower percentage. But I think that because he's taking so many more shots, and I still expect him to be a good shooter, he should still be a positive value in all of those efficiency categories. I also don't expect him to be turning the ball over a lot, even with his increased um, usage. I mean, he'll he'll probably increase his turnovers relative to his increase in efficiency, but that shouldn't kill you. Yeah. You're just going to be drafting him at a different position anyway. Yeah. 
Brogdon can have just huge value next year, especially those first few months. Um, uh, that loss of efficiency is a big question. Um, but uh, the Pacers are an interesting team in the real NBA because they're the, really the only other team I'm going to suggest might catch the Bucks and Sixers. It's possible there. I'm not sure anybody else could do it. Maybe the Celtics. Um, I think the only way they do it is trading one of Sabonis or Turner. And Sabonis is going. They're not trading Turner. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure you're right. But one of the notes I just made to myself was that like um, Turner is another guy who doesn't shoot, and he does give you. He he protects the rim, which is the reason why they really want to keep him over a Sabonis um, I think type of guy. The but the Turner's the better shooter. Easily, and, and he does shoot yeah. the three, and he does shoot a better percentage from the line too. I think. The only issue is that if they really want to be able to upgrade somehow, they need to send out salary. And um, Turner has $20 million in salary, uh, you know, to, to go out. I think he's on an $18 million. He's got four years, $18 million a year. Um, and he was one of the only people on the team that I saw. I mean, really who they want to trade is probably Doug McDermott. If they can trade his almost eight, you know, no, I'm sorry, seven million, seven point three million for two years. Dougie buckets um, isn't going and he may anywhere. Be, it may be possible to trade him now because next year he'll be an expiring, and you might be able to send a pick with, you know, um, McDermott to, you know, I don't know, like the the Knicks, the the, the, the Knicks, the Hornets, you know, some <laughs> team like this. Um, <laughs> And bring back something. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, I don't. I don't see them competing. Um, they they're a bit of an odd fit. I mean, I guess you're right. If you if you put Sabonis back to a backup center role, um, they'll at least have a really solid second unit. Um, I, I mean, mean, he can Brogdon get buckets. Stays healthy. Oladipo comes back, and he's the guy he was. You know, there's some real talent there uh, that we don't see on many teams in the Aaron East. Holiday was good last year. I can't wait to see what happens when he gets minutes. He, if he does, um, he could be a great fantasy pickup. He got uh, he had flashes in the second half last year where he was efficient scoring. He uh, he had very good steals numbers. There were a lot of really interesting fantasy. Uh, options here and the other thing to know about the Pacers fantasy wise they have 11 games in the playoffs three four and four could be uh, extremely helpful if you make the playoffs any of these players Brogdon Lamb Oladipo TJ Warren Turner Lamb you might get a break on price wise Oladipo you might too since he'll miss the first couple of months and um, who knows with Brogdon it depends on how much he unlocks how much his value goes up yeah I think what I would say as like a small wrap up uh, stock up on Brogdon, I think is what we're saying. He has like an efficiency profile already. And if he expands his volume and stays around that general level of efficiency, he's going to be a plus for you fantasy wise. And just a fair bit of warning about TJ Warren. He only played 43 games last year. So take that percentage with a grain of salt. Um, He's also been injury prone. Um, he's only played in 60, 66 games is the most games he's ever played in, in the season. So yeah, <laughs> that's what I would say about that.
Kyle, last thoughts on the Pacers? Oh, and also, sorry, what, um, the Pacers lost a lot. They lost oh, Bogdanovich and Thaddeus Young. Darren Collison retired. They lost Corey, Corey Joseph. Joseph. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, Thaddeus Young was sort of, I think, outside of Turner, the heart of the defense. Uh, Darren Collison held them together once Oladipo went out at the point position. Bohan gave uh, him that secondary scoring. Yeah, yeah, he really came into his own once Oladipo was out. So, I mean, I think it's interesting to see. I think they'll be able to do it as they've done it, like, each iteration over the past couple years. But what does that defense look like now that they're without Young, they're without Collison, they're without Joseph, they're without uh, maybe not a super elite athlete, but a big body, a capable defender in Bogdanovich. So, um, interesting to see. Also, a uh, random note, Davon Reed was on their team, uh, probably of not great importance to either of you, but he went to the University of Miami while I was there and was a manager on the team, so I got to interact with him. He's a very nice guy. So someone in the NBA, give him a job if you're listening to this <laughs> pod. Yeah, and just in terms of final thoughts for them, I should have mentioned all of those losses at the beginning there, and I just skipped my notes. Um Jeremy Lamb, uh, go out and get him for fantasy, especially for that early part of the season when Oladipo's out. Um, he's going to be uh, alongside Brogdon, um, having his usage go, you know, at least to where it was when he was playing alongside Kemba last year. And um, he was very good in the second half of the season. All right, our uh, third place team in the Central Division last year was the Super mediocre Detroit Pistons. Detroit basketball. And that's um, probably the, the, that saying will haunt me for most of the rest of my life because the Pistons are probably the most disappointing sports franchise I've ever followed and loved. They've won three championships in our lifetime. Yeah. I shouldn't be disappointed, but it's really hard to watch them now. I think it was a curse when they traded Chauncey for Iverson. Um, it was. It, it should go down as one of the great sports curses if this run continues the way that it is right now. And the only way to break the curse would be to bring Chauncey back as coach, GM, what would it be? I think he wants to be GM, and I think that he needs to be. I, I really think that the Pistons will, will not be – It's you know, this has happened once before. The, <laughs> the Pistons won a couple of championships, um, and then Isaiah Thomas retires, and then Joe Dumars retires, and then uh, some years pass, um, not bad years. I mean, they, they, they had – you know, they drafted Grant Hill, and, and he was – electric from his first days in the NBA um, but uh, uh, he left and um, they were pretty abysmal and they brought in Joe Dumars and that was the magical moment and I think it's gonna have to happen again I think that but that guy now is Chauncey um, and it always was Chauncey and that's why it was such a curse when they traded him for Iverson. I love Iverson, but Iverson was not ever the the Detroit, you know, bad boys and then to the sort of like working, um, you know, Ben Wallace team. Um, 
I don't even count that episode. Yeah. And I don't count it for Iverson either. It's not his no, fault. No, it shouldn't. No. You know? Yeah, it was so, a sad time. Um, the Pistons, though, as disappointed as I have been, uh, they're making some moves in the right direction, finally. At least I liked some of this draft. Why don't you give us some of the other additions and subtractions, Kyle? Well, key loss was Ish Smith. Um, and uh, they brought in Derek Rose um, as a replacement. Um, and they also picked up Markeith Morris. Um, they traded um, for Tony Snell. Um, and they picked up um, Christian Wood off of waivers. Um, the uh, what about that first round pick? That's my favorite thing. The, I wanted to talk about their 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 draft, um, and it's not just about Seku um, Dembuya, who is at. It's a lot about Seku. at the fifteenth <laughs> pick. That's a steal, and you can give them, you know. Great draft grades on that. I don't know what they were doing with the 30th pick, though. I don't understand it. Um, Didn't they, he show flashes in Summer League? I know he's staying in Europe, but... No, I mean the 30th pick, the one that became oh, they, Kevin Porter Jr., right. which they basically just sold for like $5 million. It was like one of the most expensive draft picks ever sold, <laughs> and they basically got nothing back for it. I mean, what was it? They, got, they traded it for... Four second round picks that then they turned around and traded for basically nothing. And then none of the players who they did end up drafting in the second round, I, I, I don't expect them to be on the team. I mean, I don't expect them to be making any contributions. And I think that at the 30th pick, I mean, that's like Draymond Green level territory Could there, right? Could have um, been. You know, not to say that there's going to be a Draymond Green in this draft, but the end of the first round and beginning of the second round are very valuable picks, and I don't know why they handed it over to to the Cavs. I mean, I guess the Cavs were like, we're going to give you a bunch of money and a whole bunch of picks because we really believe in Kevin Porter Jr. And I don't. I mean, I don't. I didn't want the Pistons to draft him. I just thought that they had options out there was it four for four second round picks they gave up and yeah did cash? i say first no 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 you did yeah it's four seconds um and then what it was five million in cash that was the cash amount something like that i don't remember the exact figure the but amounts for buying it, it was high. picks continues to go up the nba undervalued them apparently and everybody realized that with the jordan bell and warriors buy a couple of years ago so those prices are going up um so it it, it was a decent sale, so to speak. But, right, why aren't the Pistons get? They need bodies. They need anybody with upside who might actualize that upside. And they did not take that chance. <laughs> but, Kyle, you said you didn't want them to draft Kevin Porter Jr. Did you have someone else in mind? I mean, obviously we're not, a, we're not the uh, college basketball scouting pod, so uh, feel free to just say no. But, yeah, just curious. Well, I don't know. I mean, just to give you a sense of some of the people who went after um, him, um, Carson Edwards looked great in summer league. I don't have any real belief that he's going to be an impact NBA player, but he could be a fun people player. Love his range. I should say this. I don't. I don't think that he can be. 
I don't think he'll be an easy fit in the NBA because he's so small. You're gonna have to, he's gonna have to play along very specific types of athletic twos um, who can and and probably you know Giannis level like you know rangy power forwards who can like make up for his mistakes. Um, but if he's in the right situation, and actually the Celtics could be a very good situation for him there because they are so rangy. Yeah. Um, the that's just to say, I don't think that Carson Edwards would have fit well on the Pistons, but he was electric in the NCAA tournament, and he was phenomenal in summer league, and he went after um, Porter Kevin Jr. Porter Jr. Uh, they, I mean, even people really like Daniel Gafford, um, and I don't can't say I really know enough to say that he would have been better than. Um, you know, by that point, the Pistons had already had another pick, and they they picked up, um, you know, um, what are uh, uh, Davidis Savidis, um, who's staying in Europe? Uh, yeah, Servidis. I'm sorry, Davidis Servidis. Um, will be staying in Europe, and they they we expected that to be the case um, from the beginning. Um, I think. Uh, I mean, that's a fair that, that's a fair call. I mean, Carson Edwards is a good is a good one to point out because I think. Well, everyone kind of feels like, yeah, he's small, but this guy's a legit, legit shooter. And, you know, he's not going to be afraid of the moment. Um, so, you know, I mean, and I think also another thing, you can never, you know, that sort of archetype of a just microwave guard off the bench to come in and get you some points, that that matters. You know, the saying is you need all 15 guys or how many ever active guys on the roster to win a championship. And so if a guy like Carson Edwards comes in and scores, you know, 15 points in game three of the finals or game three of a playoff series and you go on to win a championship, then that pick is well worth it. So, yeah. yeah. And the other per- I mean, I just like shooters afterward. And I thought that, you know, um, Ignis Brezdikas um, would have been – you know, an interesting, especially once you start to get into their second round picks, right? I mean, like you could have picked him up. Um, and I only say this, you know, with a little bit of hindsight now. I mean, the Pistons probably actually were pretty high on Servetus, but he was um, he was not good in um, summer league. I think he was was it that he, he got injured? In, he had one good game and then just didn't play, or he had one good game and then got injured. I think injured. they decided. He was going back to Europe. Yeah. They saw him and they decided, and that was it. I mean, it just <laughs> seemed like he was summarily dismissed, you know. <laughs> um, the Heat, I've, I've listened to a couple Heat podcasts, and uh, I think the Heat are pretty stoked about Casey Apollo. I think that was like, actually the, the other name I was going to say. Yeah. So, but yeah. it's also just because I believe in the Heat player yeah. development, and when they see a talent that you know, as um, Jalen is a very big Heat fan, being from Miami. Yeah, they got Rodney Magruder some money um, now with the Clippers. But yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a good point. I I think generally, I think we're both in agreement, or we're all in agreement that like you shouldn't be wasting bites at the apple for talent. So like. I think I can. You can certainly justify the pick for the Cavs because, although they have a number of point guards and lead guards on their team, and now Darius Garland and Colin Sexton at the thirtieth pick, you're picking for talent, right? You're taking best available 
Um, I mean, maybe not. Maybe you're picking for need, but I just assume if you if you think someone is like lottery talent, which I think people saw from Kevin Porter this year, um, excluding whatever is sort of off the field issues that were being discussed or injury issues that he had this year, people I think saw him as like a lottery talent, top fifteen talent. So I mean. I, it makes sense to take that if you believe that's what he is, and it seems like the Cavs did that. And although, you know, maybe the Pistons didn't believe that, but it seems like they could have made better use of that resource. So let's talk about the Pistons' prospects. Um, do they have any? Can this team win more games than they lose? They were good last year when Blake Griffin played. Um, they were, you know, an above 500 team. And I think they probably, I think they're like projected wins with him in the lineup were like 46 or 45, something like that. They would have been a good team. Um, can he play a full season? Can and by Reggie full, Jackson play a full season? Yeah, by full. Well, Do Reggie we Jackson actually played all 82 games last year. Do we want him to play a full season? We want Reggie <laughs> Jackson to play a full season. And we want Blake Griffin to um I don't think either one of them are good enough to get it done, yeah. ultimately, even healthy. I mean, I still think that they have playoff talent. Um, I think that – so, I mean, let's just go through the lineup. Um, I imagine that they're going to want to start their five best players. Um, so I'm, you know, basically doing this projection um, on, uh, you know, on talent rather than position. I think that they probably will go with some starting lineup, something like um, Reggie Jackson, um, Derek Rose, Luke Kennard, um, Blake Griffin, and Andre Drummond, and they that that would give them you know for a second unit um, looking I think pretty good where you could bring in either Langston Galloway or Tony Snell as a two, um, Bruce Brown Jr. as a three. Um, he was a two as well. I mean, or you, or you, you make them relatively in, rel- in the second unit too. You can get oh. relatively interchangeable because the players on second units around the NBA are not um, as big as the the first unit. Um, so you know, however you want to play that out, you know, whether it's Tony Snell going at small forward and Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown is someone we want to talk about. I mean, he yeah, especially he for like fantasy and you know he, he had a great summer league. He put up some interesting numbers last year with the minutes he was given. Are you suggesting he's not going to get those minutes this year? Also a Miami product. I think it's the I no, I, I actually Rose think as the backup point guard and not the starting two. And Bruce Brown in there at the I two. I think Kennard, Just Kennard as the starting two, the Bruce team, Brown right? as the starting two. I would prefer it. I think that they're going to have... Isn't Kennard going to start? Kennard's better than both of them. But I think they're going to put him up to the three. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. fair. And, I mean, he, he could just start at the two. I mean, this... You've got, you know, the other way that they could run it is that they could put in, you know... Snell is is a you know is a big shooting guard, small forward, uh, big shooting guard, kind of smaller small forward, and he could go to small forward, and then you've got a Reggie Jackson, Kennard, um, Snell, Griffin, Drummond. I mean, everyone knows that Griffin, Drummond, Reggie Jackson are kind of locked in. Um, yeah, I think Kennard's probably locked in at either the two or the three, also, and it's just a matter of are we going to start. 
rose at the two or brown at the two i feel like brown makes more sense i'm really wondering how that contract negotiation went and whether derrick rose thinks he's starting they got derrick rose cheap so maybe he's getting he's making seven million but that's not so much for that bounce back year he had true I mean, he put up awesome numbers at times when healthy. And they're two years, two years fully guaranteed. Seven, right? Yeah. I mean, I think we're we're, we're yeah, Kennard, Brown, Snell—they're all going to be playing the two and the three. I really like Bruce Brown. Um, I think that you know your suggestion that he starts at the two is interesting. I don't think that they get there with the current personnel because unless his unless his shooting is just making what I would think of as like a completely unpredictable leap um there's no way that he can get in there alongside a lineup that has Drummond and Griffin as as your bigs neither of whom shoots you know the three-pointer well. I mean, Blake will take them. Brown um, has to shoot. But the, the, the word on Brown is that he works hard and is exactly the kind of guy I might hope would come back with that three-point shot. Maybe. We see guys do it every year. Maybe well, he's if won. he has it, he could also showcase it really well in a second lineup with Markeith Morris and, you know, Christian Wood. I actually love the Rose idea of seeing Christian point. Wood. I mean, he was – his, he, li- his lines were enormous. He's just got so much energy. He's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I love him as a backup five. You think he'll get minutes? I mean, he's kind of there. I mean, they're, they're going to play. We, we're, we kind of forgot to mention. That Thon. I, th- I think they like Thon. Yeah, they like Thon. And uh, I think that um, he, you know, Markeith Morris, Thon Maker. I feel Lecker. like this team is fun. Wow. You guys should have told me. <laughs> I feel honestly, I'm like looking at this roster and I'm like, this is more interesting than the Bucks team. Jalen, the closer <laughs> you get, the less fun the Pistons get. Just, I'm like, if wow. you look harder, it gets worse. I've, I've been deceived. We've got Blake. They're fun. Playing if, point they're fun forward. if you don't care if they win. <laughs> Michael, Michael and I want them to win fair, and fair. to have fun watching them. You know, I agree. I agree. They're a little bit like the Kings, right? I don't care about the Kings winning. Um, but they're so much fun to watch, and they're so much fun for me to watch because I don't care about them winning. Yeah. But the Pistons, I really want to win, <laughs> and I know with this roster that the best they're going to do, like best-case scenario, they get the sixth seed, right? That's like that's exceeding you're, all you expectations. Are, you are so optimistic right now. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I said I, I best think that's case. Absolutely right. right. You're so unoptimistic right now. But, yeah, like – they might not even make it. I could see them falling apart. Griffin gets hurt, they're done. Jackson gets hurt, it's not as much of a problem as it used to be, but it still starts to fall apart. I mean, also, okay. Their point guard depth is bad. Yeah, I was going to say, also, um, what do you mean? Derek Rose. Reggie Jackson and Derek Rose? But, 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 two but, point but, guards but hold on. But hold on. But hold on. Hold and on. Tim Frazier, <laughs> who's we, probably going to end up being the lone starting guard are point guard. Are we sure Derek Rose is better than Ish Smith? Because I don't know. Higher upside. There's, definitely there's has a higher that. upside, but, but like he running made, an offense. Is definitely your not. Definitely not. <laughs> no, I just mean legitimately. Like I think if 
if we were capable of or had the time to look up at the advanced stats, like the Pistons offense with Ish Smith at the point was good. Like yeah. they looked good when Ish Smith running the point. I feel like Reggie Jackson should have taken some more cues from Ish Smith and things would have gone better. But Reggie Jackson don't care. De- yeah, Derrick Rose <laughs> And also, I mean, I don't know. What did Derrick Rose shoot from three last year? I feel like it was an aberrational percentage, and we're not sure yet if it's something he's going to sustain. Obviously, I presume he's been working on his game. No offense, but he has been injured a lot, so he's had a a decent amount of time. With a high free throw percentage, I will believe the three-point percentage. Okay. I actually do think that Rose is finding his new place in the NBA. His new life, his second life. Yeah, I mean, I think it took a long That's fair. That three is what it saved was him. Thirty, yeah. So Rose shot thirty-seven percent from three last year on two point nine attempts. So I think league average is thirty-six percent. So he's slightly above league average. But I mean, the league average is so high now. I feel like league average seems like okay. He's only slightly above league average. But the people who are also shooting thirty-six percent are probably taking like point five threes a game. So like. I feel like the league average is a little skewed. If you can shoot 37-plus on, like, four attempts a game, that's pretty legit, I think. I was just reading this bit about the Bucks, and they were talking about uh, Lopez's three-point percentage and that for his career, I believe it was 33, but last year with the Bucks, he was 36-and-a-half. And that three percentage points is what made him viable and what opened up the ball. Bucks offense. If he would have been at 33%, which is partly what happened in the playoffs, I believe, was his percentages on the three dropped, he becomes unplayable. So it's a really fine, fine line here for all of these guys. Yeah. And before we get into like any more of the real discussion, I just want to say from my outside, non sort of rooting for the Pistons perspective, we've got Blake Griffin, who used to dunk on everyone and now is like point forward shooting threes. You've got Andre Drummond, who um, is a extremely strong big man who kind of doesn't really like contact and can't shoot three shoot free throws um but is also kind of now passing well out of the post in the mid post area we've got reggie jackson who like famously thought he was better than russell westbrook and like was the cause of so much drama in okc and then we've got derrick rose sort of on his redemption tour we've got luke Kennard. Um, who I think broke LeBron's record for most points in high school in Ohio. Um, we've got <laughs> Sekou Demboya, who's also who was, I think, on the Heat's radar and, and the, from the Heat podcast I listened to. They really like him. Uh, we've got Bruce Brown, Miami product. Uh, great guy. Seems like a fun team to me is what I'm saying. They are not a fun real team, but I think there's a fun fantasy team here. Um a lot of great possibilities. Um, Andre Drummond, if you're punting free throw percentage. Griffin, great all-around game. Hate those turnovers. Brown could have a big I don't know. Drummond's, Drummond's game, his free throw percentage has gotten to the level now where you don't have to punt it with him. You might as well, though. You he might as well. a pretty high volume and... Who, who has? 65? Who has? Uh, I just mean you don't have to punt it anymore, and that opens up the the idea. So it's difficult to not pump with Drummond because he shoots a pretty high volume. His percentage has gone up, but his volume's still so high, it creates a difficulty to overcome. You're sure. going to need in our league where we have a couple people already doing that punt. You know, yeah, you you can actually use Drummond now and not punt it 
and then beat. You can use Drummond to beat you two guys, the perennial yeah. favorites in the league, Kyle's Sigma team and Flying Alamo, uh, who both do a traditional punt of free throw and turnovers. Am I missing anything? Free throw and turnover and three-pointer for me. He does free throw turnover, I think, just flat. Yeah, I, don't I think, think that's he, it because yeah. he picked up threes last year. Um, but Andre's an interesting piece there. Um, Bruce Brown could be really interesting with minutes. Kennard could have a breakout. Jackson's actually a really good value pick on the back end of a draft. If he's healthy, he's productive, uh, and, and really gives you a full stat line. I would say Jackson is good if you can stand looking at like six for 18 shooting lines, <laughs> even though you're getting like 20 points out of it. But if you have you a punt moral, field goal percentage. if you have a moral aversion to just awful shooting lines, don't pick up Jackson on your team. Uh, he was on my team last year. The other thing to know about the Pistons, they have 10 games in the fantasy playoffs, 3, 4, and 3, so a below average pick in those terms. Um, but there will be some fantasy choices there with big upside. One thing I'll say, I have a rule for drafting fantasy players, and it's that they have to be good on a good team. If a player has not been good on a good team, then... I can't trust them. Um, and the reason why I say that is because if a team makes any moves, right? So say that you um, say that you, after the 2017-2018 season, um, looked at um, Josh Jackson's end of the season and saw that he was putting up, you know, really high assist, rebound, and scoring numbers because he was just getting a ton of usage. Um, and you draft him based on that. Um, you probably already know the answer to this, which is that Josh Jackson was trash last year um, because he was never good on a good team. Um, and the, the risk for not, a, you know, not yet good on a good team is that any change on the roster can affect that player's you know, real world and also fantasy value. And for Josh Jackson, it was just simply he didn't find the floor. Um, the cool thing about the Pistons here is that they're stuck. This is probably going to be the team at the end of the season as well. I would be astonished if they were able to make any significant moves, let alone minor moves. I, I thought that the one move that they could potentially make was to trade away Langston Galloway's $7.3 million expiring contract for, I don't know, used parts. Um, but the team that we have here is probably going to be the team throughout the season, and players' values likely for that reason um, can either dramatically fall off because they got injured or dramatically increase because someone else got injured. Um, and that's about it. And that, that can at least give you, um, you know, some kind of security in buying, you know, some of these guys. Um, I would just like to mention that Kyle didn't mention these insights pre-draft last year. Uh, this is exclusive for the pod. Kyle only tells us his rules for thinking about fantasy NBA after the season is over. I like to win. And then he changes them. 
It's true. I never changed the rules. <laughs> he changes the rules <laughs> every That's scandalous. Year. <laughs> every year. All right, here we are. We're moving on to the Bulls. <laughs> it's also libel, or is it? Yeah. Libel. Yeah. libel. He doesn't, Libels he doesn't change. We both committed libel. He doesn't yeah, change the did. actual we rules. <laughs> he doesn't change the actual rules of the league, just the way in which you succeed in the league. He, he grows. He evolves. Kyle is also known as the commissioner of Scorekeeper, so keep that in mind as you listen to Shot Tower. The Chicago Bulls. Two big questions. Will the youngsters develop? And who will play defense? (laughs) No and no one. Especially because it looks like Chris Dunn is not going to be in the rotation. I mean, he'll be in the rotation because they're probably going to showcase him for a trade. But they're moving on from him, and he was – one of their better defenders. He's um, the can, third can, or fourth point guard now. Can you Where? talk about your love of Chris Dunn, Kyle, for yeah. me and the rest of the pod? Uh, so his steal rate um, for fantasy basketball <laughs> is <laughs> extraordinary. There was a moment in that 2017-2018 season um, when he became the starter, when he was leading the league in steals in – Fewer games than any of the people he was who were immediately behind him. I think the players behind him were like Russell Westbrook and you know some really high usage big steel getters, um, probably Paul George and stuff like that too. Um, he, it's, it's not just so that's why I like him for fantasy. I actually also just liked to watch him play, and I think Michael could talk about this too a little. Um, he he's he's all over the floor. He plays with a ton of energy. Um, he's fast. Um, he's like he's probably not deer and fox sort of fast, but that's he's a good. That but that's like a good kind of like model of like when you see somebody who just like you're watching the, the the floor, and then there's just somebody who just sort of jumps off with their speed and their quickness and their just energy. Um, and the way he got steals where i mean he's getting a ton of them just on ball which is really impressive and and fun to watch you know you know so many steals come off ball um from off ball defenders Um, his on ball pressure was amazing and if he simply had an offensive game whatsoever some sort Vaguely well, he has efficient. a mid he has a mid range game, which right, unfortunately exactly. is a, is the least efficient game, um, so and now and now all he, the analytics know it. Does he? You know, does he, he really does. I just have mean that that's game. That's where <laughs> yeah. he. I just mean that's where he prefers to shoot. And to, now, unfortunately, yeah. he probably is the third or fourth point guard it's on this team. Unfortunate for his agent, not Sadaransky. Uh, I think we're looking at Kobe. As the backup? Don't you think that they'll feature him trying to trade him? I think they're going to try to get some asset in return for letting him go. And I think that, you know, as we were talking about with the Pacers, you know, featuring Sabonis, I think that the Bulls are going to be featuring Chris Dunn. Well, they have three guys, right? Dunn, Arcadiacono, and Harrison, all of which could be moved, all of whom could be moved. And... Yeah, I think they keep uh, Arkadiakono. Um, our like hard-nosed coach loves him, but the <laughs> other two, yeah, I think they're going to be showcased and traded. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I don't know. I feel like Harrison's salary is so low, you know. 
I mean, I guess if you need to make a deal, you can throw him in the deal. But I feel like Chris Dunn is the one that maybe you can convince someone that he's good, you know, because of that steal rate, because of that energy. Um, maybe if he comes out hot shooting uh, the first couple months of the season, I feel like you could convince someone and he could you could get something from that trade. It it is interesting. They they do all of a sudden have a bunch of point guards. Also, they can't get anything for Shaq Harrison. He's on a non guaranteed deal of only you know eight hundred ninety eight thousand. Yeah, yeah. Like That's they're more likely saying. to just cut him. Whereas Chris Dunn is on a five point three million dollar contract, um, which gives them a little bit more flexibility to get something back. Um, they just re-signed Archer Diacono, and I think it's because. They intend for him to be the backup, you know, the backup point guard um, I th- here. I think he had like the highest or around the top of the sort of assist to turnover ratio yeah. um, last season, which is another thing I only know because of playing in the scorekeeper fantasy league. Yeah. And there's also, I think that Kobe White, um, also we haven't really talked about their additions, um, but Kobe White was obviously their big first round pick. Um, I thought it was a very good pick um, for them. At the, I really, you know, I like that they went with a, um, a he, he's somebody that there's been talk that he'll, for this year, starting this year, back up both the point and the shooting guard. Um, he's, he's a bit longer and, and, uh, and I like it, you know, they already had so many point guards that they, to make that pick, they had to be willing to, um, you know, give up on some assets, um, on, on players who, who you could still think of as assets, right? I mean, Chris Dunn comes over in the Jimmy Butler trade. And uh, I think that you're you're hoping that you know for letting Jimmy Butler go that the the pieces work and that they didn't um, you know dwell on it and really like I've got to really prove that that Jimmy Butler trade was good by <laughs> I think they got a couple other good pieces in that trade I know I know <laughs> Markinen with the pick of course right um, and and. Zach Levine, Levine. He could have a big year. What is Zach going to look like with a real point guard? Okay, so this a is... A pass first point guard. This is fun. This is a conversation I want to have because I feel like I've been listening and reading Zach Lowe talk about Zach Levine for years now. And I feel like Zach Levine is this sort of archetype of a player who is kind of good but he's never been good on a good team so in terms of your we're applying this sort of fantasy rule to the real NBA which again I think it also applies in the real NBA because as you're saying like sometimes the saying is you know somebody has to score their points right if it's a bad team someone needs to score the points this is also kind of something that applies to Devin Booker some people are kind of like Devin Booker's just empty calories empty stats I think everyone knows Devin Booker's better than Zach Levine but um, still, you know, we never seen him play in a season that actually mattered where he was putting up these numbers. We've seen him score 50 points in a game. Didn't he score like 80 or 70 or something? Or am I making that up? Not he scored 80. He scored 50 for sure. And I think he scored probably more than 50 once. We'll, we'll fact check that. I think that. that's right. Uh, he was lighting it up, but I don't remember the, the exact numbers. Did he ever have a real point guard? Well, we should say for the, you know, 
being a good player on a good team, that holds only to a degree, you know, in Levine is locked in as the highest usage player on the Bulls for probably the remainder of his contract. Mm. Um, in that sense, he's not only a good fantasy player now, he could potentially be a good fantasy keeper player, you know, if you bought him low. Um, just because they, I don't see a situation where they're going to be moving on from him and he's going to, you know, end up in a bad situation where all of a sudden his, you know, um, jacking up shots um, is going to, I don't know, run him off the court or something. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No. He's, no. he's, he's actually so far. He's actually getting better. Um, every year, I find myself, you know, not buying the Zach Levine game and having to question why I didn't because he just continues to get buckets. I mean, I honestly thought that he was going to be a player, kind of like. Um, that, I mean, that's not really fair here. I was going to say Jabari Parker, but oh, Jabari, but Jabari Parker. What, but I was talking like earlier on in his career, like when Jabari Parker was still on was still potential, all yeah. potential. You when know? they were still, when both of them were all potential, I kind of had similar feelings about them. Um, and Zach Levine completely proved me wrong. He uh, he's only gotten better he's actually gotten more efficient he's gotten better with the ball in his hand um and he's justified jacking up shots the way that he has and jabari parker's basically played himself out of the league i mean i know he's he's picked up by the hawks and we'll talk about that at some point but he's not gonna last there it doesn't seem like he'll last anywhere now it I think he's he's going to be fine. He's going to be a backup forward off the bench scoring points. I don't think he'll be out of the league. He he gets buckets kind of. Um will he, he ever have another big contract? I don't think so. Yeah. I think I think um once you get and once you get a certain sort of contract, it's kind of yeah. hard to get out of that that area. But in I was just I'm looking at Zach Levine's stats and they're they're pretty. They're pretty good. Forty-six percent from the field overall. Thirty-seven point four. Thirty-seven percent from three. Fifty um, percent on his twos. Had a fifty-two percent effective field goal percentage. Um, yeah, his efficiency went up. And yeah, he's eighty-three percent from the line. I mean, I have to believe he gets better. I really believe he's going to get better with a pass-first point guard. I haven't. He hasn't played with that kind of player before, and one who will also absorb the uh, more difficult offensive player from the other team. Sadoransky's going to get that assignment. It's not going to be Levine. There could be some real, like both real and fantasy for Levine. I I, I like it. My um, hesitation with Levine is a hesitation I have with taking any of the Bulls for fantasy, and it's that they have the worst fantasy playoff schedule in the league at just nine games. Yeah, 4.7 rebounds, 4.5 assists, one steal. Why didn't anybody tell me Those Zach Levine was, was, round. was doing things? <laughs> They're fun. <full. laughs> yeah, <laughs> 23, 4, and 4, and one averaging a steal. How we know you like steals, Kyle. Uh, 3.4, yeah, so kind of a lot of turnovers. but A little high, but not terrible. They'll go down 
with Sadoransky because he's not going to be handling the ball as much. Well, so. for, for fantasy implications, I mean, the Bulls, to me, are far more interesting as a fantasy team than as a real team. But there's one interesting real-world wrinkle that will play into whether any of these players, besides Levine and Markkanen, um, yeah, Levine and Markkanen, basically. Porter. Um, Carter. Porter, Porter probably, um, just because he's got a contract that they can't move, and so he's similarly sort of locked in. But that's the idea. And it's like, what are the Bulls playing for, right? If they get to a point where they're playing for the playoffs, which in the Eastern Conference is always a possibility, um, or has been, you know, for 15 years now, um, then I think that their best lineups are going to, in, you know, involve Sadoransky playing, um, Levine. You know, well, their starting lineup will be, you know, Sadoransky, Levine, Porter, Markinen, and Carter. And I can imagine one where they even um, put Markinen as a sort of small ball center um, and Porter at the four. He's big enough to play that. Um, and then they're bringing in, you know, um, maybe Kobe White into the starting lineup. Um, oh, if he, Did if you he's say good enough. Oh, that is young. I'm sorry about that part. Yeah, of course. Of course that's what they would do. They could do a lineup where they put Markin into center and then Thaddeus Young and then keep um, Porter as a three, and then they've got another good five-person line. But the whole point there is that Kobe White has a different value if they're playing for something than if they're not. Because come January, if it's pretty clear that they're not going anywhere – I think they'll hand the you know hand the keys to the car to him, and he will be given carte blanche to you know run the offense to put the shots up as as uh, as he can. Um, One check on that lineup that you ran out. You don't want Carter in that lineup. The well, second yeah, lineup. The this was is, a second lineup. I was saying oh, secondary. I was basically saying. I thought you were saying that was. I was like saying their best no, lineup. I mean, I no, I was thinking. I was thinking of different closing lineups, right? Different closing lineups, and a lot of times you don't have the, you know, the. A lot of times you don't have traditional bigs, and Carter is a more or less traditional big. He can um, shoot though. He can shoot. Yeah, but he can stretch. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, he can't yeah. stretch the same way that Thaddeus Markinen Young can. Or no. Yeah, but he can. And so, so I was saying that you, you might have a possibility where you're going with a uh, closing lineup of, yeah, of those two. And I mean, thanks, Jalen, Carter's for been pointing practicing that out. his shot since he got hurt. But yeah, but I mean, also, how does Thad not start? He's like the adult in the room. He's the veteran there. I mean that doesn't mean he has to close, but yeah. I think he signed say? this contract knowing that, that he wasn't going to start. He's not going to start. Yeah, that's interesting. And at a certain could point, it could be Porter and Namarkinen. It could also be, you know, he's at a certain point in his career where um, he's interested in longevity. Um, you know, he's interested in playing some more years here, and he doesn't feel that. Uh, yeah, that he's playing for the prestige of being in the, the starting lineup. I don't know. I mean, you could be right. He's also – I was saying that, um, you know, I could see Markinen as a center and Thaddeus Young starting. Um, and Carter is was great last year. Um, or, or, you know, he showed a lot of promise last year. But he still may not be ready. He still may not be ready to play day in, day out against the centers who he's going to have to be playing against. Um and uh yeah 
I mean, but who co- who are their other back backup centers? They you know they have Cornette and <laughs> oh I Feliciano. forgot about Cornette because I guess and Cornette Feliciano, can come in there because yeah. I was like Feliciano. I'm like Ooh, Ooh, yeah. he's still got yeah. a contract. Ooh, yeah, he's oh. got the he's got like the most unmovable contract um, in uh, they, in the NBA. They tried he's, to showcase him last year. It didn't go well. Yeah, he's getting paid. Uh, 8.1 this year and 7.5 million next year. I think the ringer once called him the most valuable tanker in the NBA. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Any last thoughts on the Bulls? So have we decided, is Zach Levine actually good at the real NBA of basketball? Is Zach Levine good at basketball? I'm taking the yes. Kyle? I'm taking the yes now. I mean, I, I was trying to say that before. I think I've been proven wrong. I'll take the yes too. I mean, those as you said, those numbers were round and they they were legit. You know, not very many people go twenty three four point five four point five or twenty three five and five if you want to round up. You know, if you do that for fifteen years, you get in the Hall of Fame. So, <laughs> um, well, uh, one last thing is, I just wanted to say that Daniel Gafford um, is not one of their two way contracts, as far as I can tell right now, um, which does lead me to believe that he is going to be with the team and may end up taking that backup center um, role. Um, we'll see how that ends up playing out. But, um, well, he, but you know, Feliciano is not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, the backup center may become a non-existent position, and that could be yeah. the case here with the Bulls. Um, with their three power forwards. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So uh, let's move on to a very interesting team at the bottom of the central, the Cleveland Cavaliers. They have two point guards that are smaller than me, and I don't know what's going to happen with that. I think Jalen does, though. So Jalen, why don't you tell us? <laughs> um well, we had this conversation uh, sort of when we did our draft uh, review sort of pre-off-season pod, um, and we were saying that, or I argued that we know what a two-guard lineup with two undersized guards who aren't very good at defense looks like, and that team, if you get the right pieces and they max their abilities out, is sort of Portland Trail Blazers-esque. They make the playoffs, they make a run, but... You know, they're they're not really that dangerous. No one is expecting them to win a championship. And I think it's mostly because of the lack of defensive upside between those two guards, C.J. McCollum uh, and Damian Lillard. No disrespect. I love the raps, Dame. I love your game. Just saying. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think it's interesting that the Cavs have chosen to build this way, although I guess you could argue that they are so far... Um, they have such a long way to go in their process of rebuilding that it doesn't really matter. And maybe they're sort of doing a Sam Hinkie-esque version of this where they're just taking the best talent or what they believe to be the best talent. And then if they showcase it and they pop, one of them pops, they can trade the other one um, and get uh, maybe hopefully other young talent or maybe more proven talent. So I don't think you can really blame them, but I don't know. I guess that depends on how much you think fit is important in team building. And I think to some degree, I would argue that it's pretty important. Like the team that we saw dominate the league uh, the past couple of years had sort of an immaculate fit in uh, Steph Curry and, Dr- and uh, Draymond Green and also Clay Thompson. Um, Steph Curry is an undersized point guard. Uh, Clay Thompson is a well, you know, 
sort of prototypical size two guard uh, who also is strong enough to sort of guard up a position and guard up maybe two positions in a pinch in the post. Um, and so you could throw Clay Thompson and let him maul Kyrie Irving or Damian Lillard and let him guard the other team's best point guard in a sort of point guard driven, point guard heavy league. Um, and then you also had uh, the unique pairing of an amazing point guard who was also dominant off the ball and commanded so much attention off the ball in Steph Curry with a sort of pass first, defense first, um, power forward, undersized power forward in Draymond Green. So I think fit matters. And so for that reason, I guess, to some degree, I'm worried about the Cavs in so much as you can be worried about a team that's clearly tanking. Um, Are they, though? Well, don't tell Dan Gilbert that. I mean, (laughs) obviously, we know where they're going. But they just the, the thing that sticks out the most when you look at their contract structure is that their rookies... Um, you know, Darius Garland, Kevin Porter Jr. Um, Coach uh, Beeline. Hey, Coach Beeline. Are, 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 is this, I don't, <laughs> I'm just joking. I don't know. How, 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 long, <laughs> how, how long is his contract? I think it's four years. I think it is. This is exactly same. what I was just going to say. Same, same, same. They have – but you know who, do, who else has that same four-year contract right now? Nance. Kevin Love. Kevin Love as in – the, the guy the, who won't be on the team at the end of the year. Well, I, I mean, th- this is the well. This is the problem. If you're really tanking, and if you're, you know, if you're really rebuilding, the answer is yes. He should. You need to find a way to move him. Um, and uh, I mean, I see what they were doing. I mean, this is kind of like, you know, this is kind of like what the Warriors were doing with, you know, negotiating that sign and trade to bring in D'Angelo, even though if they don't know if he's going to really be the right fit for them. You just try to get an asset when you can. And the Cavaliers were like, well, you know, how bad is it going to be to re-sign Kevin Love right now, you know, to this um, max contract? Um, and, uh, and it still may work out. If he can come back and, you know, play to any high percentage of what he played before. Um, but if he's, if he's unmovable right now, um, his contract structure is not terrible for, for moving. I mean, he's got um, 28 9 31-3, 31-3, 28-9. Um, Someone's going to take a shot with him. I think someone will take a shot with him, but it's whether – the Cavs are going to try to do that because there hasn't, there's been no buzz yet that they're, they're that they're actually to trying to move. They're just Kevin playing Love. hard to get with him. They'll move him by the trade. Deadline. Are they? I will bet either of you any amount of money. I mean that that seems to suggest a level of planning that I don't buy. But well, no, I guess what I was gonna say is I I Colby don't Holton's think that they were. I don't think that they were initially planning on tanking last year. And when I say that, I mean that Dan Gilbert wasn't initially planning on tanking. He didn't write a letter this time, but he was like, we're going to make the playoffs and we're going to be good that LeBron left. We don't need him, yada, yada, yada. And Colby Altman had probably had to sit through a meeting like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes, yes, totally. And then, you know, the middle of the season came and they're like, oh, okay. Or not even the middle of the season because they got rid of um, the coach before that. So, <laughs> you know, so and then all of a sudden everything hit the fan and they figured out that, oh, no, we're actually not going to be good. And LeBron is dominant and was keeping everything yeah. afloat. And also we let 
uh, Griff leave because we didn't want to pay him and all this other stuff. So, I mean, I think that's what happened. I think they're like, Dan Gilbert's like, nope, we're going to sign him and we're going to be good. And they signed him and Kevin Love is like, yeah, I'll take this money, which I probably wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. Um, and now they have Kevin Love making $31 million or $30 million in the final year of his contract or $29 million, you said. Yeah, and, and also, if he doesn't get injured, this probably looks very different. And maybe they're able to move him last year. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And – yeah, I mean, it, I think yeah. So it's I, I really, guess it's, I guess it's a question of how bad the contract is or how decent the contract is because there is an argument to say here's an asset we want to control the asset. If we keep the number at a at a decent enough clip, someone will be willing to take this and we we will be able to get something back for it instead of letting him walk for nothing. So, in that respect, I think it's defensible. I just. I don't know. I guess I I don't want to ascribe that level of planning and foresight to Dan Gilbert. Kobe can, Altman maybe, but not Dan. Can Gilbert. we okay. remember? Well, we, can we remember back to how they picked up Brandon Knight? It was in a trade with the Suns last season, um, and I'm curious about it right now because I'm trying to do the, the sort of backward glance on the off season here from the point where they give J.R. Smith, where, I'm sorry, where they stretch J.R. Smith, um, which isn't a huge deal. It's only 1.5, you know, 1.45 million um, for the next um, three years. Also, one of the things that you Lines know. up with those contracts, too. Yeah, doing this, this um, division by division podcast um, really made me aware of how many people are on the stretch provision right now it's crazy like i'm like the the bucks are definitely not going to keep um Giannis just because of how many players they have stretched <laughs> it's crazy like they have like four players stretched and i'm like that that's the payroll that you needed to be able to say keep brogdon or you know some other like there are some bad moves that they have back there in you know that are weighing them down that I actually think are going to be the Achilles heel. I really so think I'm willing to believe that the Cavs did not have that planning in place last year. But I'm wondering why did you why did they pick up 15 million for of Brandon Knight's contract? Who went out in that trade? I don't remember. That's what I'm trying to figure out. I think yeah, it says Cleveland Cavaliers have acquired guard Brandon Knight forward Marquise Chris a 2019 first round draft pick and a 20 22 second round pick so i guess that's another reason they got a first round pick out of it and a second round pick uh from the houston rockets as part of no they were both on the rockets as part of a three-team trade uh it was a it was a salary yeah okay so it was a salary dump from the rockets yeah that the Cavs picked up because they got they got the picks okay i think probably the picks maybe even more because it's really interesting because it put them in a position where they couldn't stay under the cap and then they had to stretch jr smith which really won't hurt them because they're not you know they're not expecting to be good through these next three seasons but it was just an interest i wanted to track back because how do you get yourself in a position where you're, when you're a rebuilding team where you're over yeah where you're over the cap enough where you have to stretch jr smith you know I, I don't fault them for it, no, obviously, I like but, I was, but I was like curious how you get to that. Um, yeah, I guess for yeah. the stretch, they got two picks out of it. Yeah. So I mean, they're was, not going to be good anytime soon. So. But there was value in that, and um, 
the other point I want to make is that that I could believe that the direction has changed somewhat since hiring Beeline as the coach. And it's one of the reasons Garland actually makes sense as their picket point guard. He ran a lot of two point guard sets at the University of Michigan. I think we could see some of that with the Cavs picking up on what teams like the Rockets are doing and some other teams having just more ball handlers in the lineup all the time. So who knows? Do you really think we'll see? You're saying you think I'm Brandon Knight's going to play? this could be on purpose. That Brandon Knight will play? Brandon Knight will not play. Yeah. Um, but Garland and Sexton could play. Garland and Sexton will both start. Clarkson will back up, and Porter will get some spot minutes here and there. But we're looking at those three guards, I think. with the, Clarkson will be another trade. I think Clarkson and Love are gone by the trade deadline, and then you're running those three guards. Yeah. I like Clarkson as like a sixth man. I mean, I think he's okay. But he's no good. In with the, the real ca- NBA the or the Cavs, fantasy what, NBA? We're used to the Cavs in, have in the, for him. In the fantasy NBA, but I also think that, you know, on certain teams, he he could fill a useful role. You I know? think he's, yeah. I mean, he's fine, but I just feel like. Backup like, on a playoff team. Like, yeah. What we know what is he is. And yeah, like he doesn't really serve a purpose for the Cavs. Let Kevin Porter Jr. play those minutes instead of giving them Jordan Clarkson. Oh, I just meant it as in I think that they could get takers for him. Yeah, I, I think I, so too. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. He'll have a future. He'll continue to, I think, to at least be a backup somewhere. Um, all the old dudes are gone by the end of the season. We have Nance back at the four. Love is gone. Um, we may have, if they can yeah, get they rid gonna, of Thompson, does Zizek get more time? They got they Delhi don't want back. Thompson. <laughs> yeah, are they going to buy out? Tristan Thompson? <laughs> they let LeBron talk them into giving him that huge contract. Yeah. And now he's going. They had to. <laughs> they had to. Oh, man. I mean, JR got got a decent contract, too. <laughs> Every, everyone was holding out. Tristan Thompson was holding out. JR Smith was holding out. I don't even know if that's the proper terminology. This isn't the NFL, but everyone was sort of taking a long time in their negotiations for the contract, and LeBron was just like, mum, mum on this. They'll be here when, they're, when they get here. Someone needs to write the story of, like, the long con of LeBron going back to Cleveland, and he was just, like, milking every dollar out of Dan Gilbert at every turn he could as payback for that insidious letter. I think uh, I think that's fair. He did get them a championship, though, too. And yeah. I think he really did care about that. So, But he didn't no... do it for Gilbert. He did it for himself. Yeah. No, he definitely he didn't did do it, it for, for Cleveland, Gilbert. Yeah. And he did it... Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it was a it was a mutually beneficial relationship. Um they had the Andrew Wiggins pick. Kyrie Irving was already on the team. They knew they could get Kevin Love. It was a great situation. I'm sure LeBron wanted to be back home. I'm also sure that I think I've heard enough smart tapped in NBA people say that LeBron wanted more of the power that he had when he was with the Cavs originally and that he didn't have with the Heat and he got that with the Cavs. And, I mean, he was smart. I mean, I don't think you could go into a business relationship with Dan Gilbert after what happened the first time and not apply pressure to him to do what you wanted in order to achieve a championship. Just if we take any judgment out of it, he he thought this is the best way. I need to have some control over the moves we make because we know Dan Gilbert doesn't like to, to pay his sort of managerial staff and his support staff 
as we saw with he keeps getting new GMs. He hasn't renewed the contract of a GM, I think, in X number of years. So and it I cost mean, I think him it was a lot to not do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was right and fair, and it worked out in a championship and a historic championship at that. So I mean, I'm certainly not knocking. It. I'm just saying it is also kind of funny that <laughs> oh, these players, funny. these players who <laughs> in some ways deserved these contracts that they got, but also maybe got more than they would have under other circumstances. <laughs> you know, in a connection to LeBron. Well, you have to remember also why they got those contracts. It was because they were over the cap, and the talent that they could get with the cap space that they had was significantly less than the players that they already had. And so what LeBron was was getting Gilbert to do was not just pay through the nose. It was to keep enough talent around him that they could compete. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, that's, like, always the case when you're over the cap. You can't, you're not going to be able to acquire the talent that you have already on your team by just keeping that talent. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I totally agree. It wasn't like, you know, I mean, this is fictional in some sense, but I mean, I'm sure LeBron took some small measure of joy in knowing that like his friends or people that he's played with and has some sort of relationship with were sort of getting their just due in money and it was coming out of Dan Gilbert's pockets. I completely agree. And I think they still laugh about it. Yeah. Yeah, so when I look at the roster um, on the Cavs, I keep thinking I see Dwayne Wade's name, but it's Dean Wade. Um, what? I don't, I don't think Dean Wade is going to be getting a lot of playing time. That's a real player? But that's a real player. Two-way contract. Yeah, two-way contract. I don't, I don't know who, Dwayne, who Dean Wade is. Um, I'm interested in finding out. I'm going to, um, after the show here, go and look him up. Find out uh, where he played college, if he played college, um, or overseas, if he played overseas. And uh, we're going to get down to the mystery of Dean Wade. <laughs> I like that. I like that also as a segment. And I guess before we wrap up, or for, before you wrap up, Michael, is there any um, fantasy considerations we want to mention on the Cavs? Fantasy implications. They have 10 games, so below average for the team, not great. Um, Osman, we have not really talked about. Jetty Osman looked great in flashes in the second half, especially with minutes. Could be a breakout. Um, Nance could be a really cheap buy behind Love, especially since he'll be projected to have not too many minutes early in the season and could have big upside later in the year. Zizek, when he had minutes, put up some excellent numbers too. So um, watch whether Thompson is getting traded. Those are my fantasy thoughts. Any last thoughts on the Cavs, the Central? Uh, we didn't make our predictions. So. Oh, we're down to the predictions. Jalen, who wins the division? So I'll say, say the Bucks. The Bucks repeat um, as winners makes of the, the divisions. Playoffs? Um, I'll say the Pacers make the playoffs. The Cavs definitely not going to make the playoffs. And then, good question. Um, yeah, sure. I'm not putting any money on this, so let's go out on a limb. Let's say the Bulls make the playoffs because Zach Levine is in the MVP conversation. And that's at the expense of the Pistons, I assume, as yeah. the eighth seed? Uh, Blake Griffin might not be fully healthy coming back. He has a slow start, maybe misses some games. We want to see what Seku looks like. That's All my right. That's my bold prediction for the day. Kyle, what you got? I got the same order as last year. 
It's going to finish with the Bucks, Pacers, Pistons, Bulls, Cavs. Um, I've got the top three teams in the division making the playoffs again. Part of this is just that, and we'll get to this when we talk about the Southeast, but the Southeast is just bad, and I expect only one team to make the playoffs from the Southeast. Um, and I think that that opens a door for um, three teams from the, this division. Um, Bucks aren't going to win 60 games again. Um, I Pacers around the same as last year. I don't think they get to 50, though. Um, I'd say 48 again. Isn't, weren't they at 48 yep, last 48. year? 48 again. Um, my head says that there's no way this is going to happen, but my heart my heart says that Derrick Rose is going to have a great season. Um, he's going to be a difference maker, and the Pistons are going to squeak past the 500 mark, and they're going to win 43 games. I like your optimism for the Pistons. I don't share your optimism for the Pistons. I don't even Pistons. know if I share it. <laughs> I don't think you do either. I'm looking at your face right now, and if you could see his face right now, you would know he was just lying to you and to himself. <laughs> The Bucks will make the playoffs. They will lose to the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Pacers will be better than last year, especially in the second half. We'll see them finally turn into the team they could be. The Pistons will suffer far too many injuries this year. Blake Griffin will go down or just give up on plays like he always does. <laughs> Reggie Jackson will also get hurt because he played 82 games last year. As Jalen pointed out, that can't last. And I like the possibility of the Bulls actually putting it together with a real point guard. Maybe they get that eighth spot. The Cavs. I'm sorry for the Cavs and all of their fans. <laughs> I'm not sorry for them. But, it'll be you know. fun, but it'll be ugly. Yeah. And that, I believe, is the end of this episode of Shot Tower. Thanks for listening. Peace. I'm not saying goodbye.